It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Welcome into the Bird Game Plits podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, always joined by the venerable John Venerable. And uh, Johnny, let's jump right into tonight's uh, podcast. We're talking about the Arizona Cardinals fall to the Seattle Seahawks in a game that they probably had won up until the very last part of the game, at least, um, which wouldn't have obviously been possible if not for the thing we've been talking about for months, been building up to, which was Josh Rosen's first official start for the Arizona Cardinals. John, let's break down a little bit of just some of the game, just from your opening thoughts as we kind of get into this night on a, on this kind of this a momentous occasion for a lot of Cardinals fans. People have been waiting a long time to hear the stadium that loud. Yeah, it's kind of bittersweet. I know this morning, you know, a lot of fans were hoping to have their first victory against Seattle at home uh, since 2012. Uh, Ken Wisenhunt's last year, I think that was Russell Wilson's rookie year, his first game ever as a pro. The Cardinals barely hung on. And then what's ended up being a lengthy winning streak for the Seahawks at University of Phoenix Stadium, or I should say State Farm Stadium. Uh, And so I thought Josh Rosen could not have played any better. Uh, Had his receivers hung on to, you know, even half of those drop passes, his stat line looks completely different. Uh, he was the story of this game. I think he's going to be the story of the season moving forward. I, we talk about it at nauseum, better part of, you know, four or five months. I think a lot of fans didn't see this coming. I think they expected him to struggle. I think that, you know, much has been made to malign the offensive line, which, by the way, only gave up one sack. The receiving court, yes, was underperforming greatly. But at the same time, you can see the emergence of some of these younger targets uh, like a Chad Williams, like a Christian Kirk, come into their own. Um, Josh Rosen, to me, is a future star in the NFL. You watch him. You watch the throws that he makes in an offense, really, that's holding him back right now. Uh, in his first start against a veteran coaching staff, defensive-minded Pete Carroll, um, you know, a team that's superior than the Cardinals in a lot of different phases, especially defensively, that had Earl Thomas for the better part of three-plus quarters in this game. You know, I think Josh played as about as well as you could have hoped. You, you talk about the drop touchdown passes, whether it be from Larry Fitzgerald, the touchdown pass that he had reversed from Chad Williams that I think should have counted. The Presumably, the, the touchdown pass to J.J. Nelson, I think he would have fallen into the end zone on that long pass that, that ended up going through his hands. If not, if, if, if he falls, he's probably at the two or the three yard line. Uh, Rosen should have ended up with roughly 300 yards and two or three touchdowns. No rookie in his opener has ever gone for that. And uh, it really should have happened Sunday, but you know, at the end of the day, nobody's going to remember a home loss to Seattle in a lost season for two teams that are probably not going to make the playoffs, especially for the Cardinals. I, I don't think Seattle's talented enough, especially with Thomas going out. But what we saw from Rosen, if you just look at the box score, you say, okay, 15 to 27, 180 yards, passer rating of 88. What's so special about that one TD? Then you look at the game and the throws that he made, and they are just high-difficulty throws, high-difficulty completions that very few quarterbacks, very few quarterbacks in this league can make, Blake, honestly. I mean, you you look at the – the play to Ricky Seals Jones late in the game, where he threads the needle between multiple defenders. Uh, the oh, that was t- so the, beautiful! So beautiful. Yeah, I don't. All I don't think we. All the time at UCLA, he would hit those. 
I don't think we've seen a throw like that. I mean, Carson in 2015 would, would occasionally sprinkle in a throw or two like that. Kurt Warner obviously made a, a career threading the needle. Um, but it's just – it's you watch that and you watch Mitch Trubisky throw six touchdowns and 400-plus yards uh, against a, a you know, terrible Tampa Bay defense, and a lot of those touchdowns were trickeration and drop-offs and dump-offs and just – it's not – it's it's a gimmick. It's a college offense, and he is an exceptional offensive head coach in Matt Nagy. Rosen is working with a defensive head coach right now who looks completely overwhelmed. He's working with Mike McCoy, who, let's be honest, sh- probably shouldn't be employed right now as an offensive coordinator in the league. And even so, Rosen put this put this team in position to put up about 28 points for whatever reason, didn't transpire. I know the end result was disappointing for Cardinal fans, but in the big picture of things, the the headline from this morning for for a lot of different media outlets was, wow, I must have missed this game on Sunday. Josh Rosen looked phenomenal. Yeah, that's the highlight. What was amazing, like what you were talking about, was that Perhaps it's just because Seattle hasn't been as interesting. Perhaps it's been because the Cardinals have, you know, so far been the worst team in the NFL. But there was a lot of people who jumped in, like, at halftime, like, wow, Josh Rosen is only 58, like, or something yards passing. And they were like, yeah, you can clearly tell the people who are watching the game who are seeing a lot of the passes. But there was even times like, oh, that was an inaccurate pass. Oh, nope, that, that hit him in the hands. That's on the receiver. And it was crazy to watch because it showed a lot of what we talked about, about when we went through, you know, you evaluated or the strengths, the weaknesses of a lot of what makes a quarterback and then what makes a high-level quarterback where you can win despite not having a lot of around them. A lot of it comes with when you're throwing receivers open. That was one of the biggest things that I think we even had that as a key term involved with taking accuracy to kind of the next level and some of the precision. Um, just looking at some of how the game went when you looked at I ended up writing down like a lot of the offensive plays that we had. We'll get into some of that, especially talking about Mike McCoy, but it was crazy because most of what Rosen was doing, there were times where you just like the notes that I have was like, it's a beautiful pass for it for that way. At least that was dropped Uh beautiful pass. At least that I had third and six, at least a pass in right to, um, to Christian Kirk, you know, uh, he got the ball basically like, right into his hands with that there was another dime that they had on second and six to chad williams but that was the second foot was out of bounds um so you had each of these different plays that you're looking at for that one where when you're starting to kind of assess and look at the play you can probably make an argument that josh rosen you know as a rookie in his first start you know it might not be the same every single game but he might be right now the best player at least on the field for the cardinals and we talked a lot about change that we believe we would see in the offense and Rosen took over from not having to dink and dunk down the field of opening up the lane. David Johnson had his best game of running the football. He even got targeted a few times in the passing game, at least, which obviously was still a few too few for the most part. I think most Cardinals fans would agree, but overall you got to see the entire effect that a quarterback does have on a team to the point where the Cardinals were in position to win that game. And we'll get into this at least right here just because this is kind of the key pivotal moment that's the other thing people are talking about you know it's the Cardinals end up having a beautiful pass completed to Ricky Seals-Jones in Seattle territory they are at a tie game of the ability to now go up on the Seahawks and it ends up being three plays in a row the first down you know it's just a straight run right up the middle at least for David Johnson off right tackle I believe that they had 12 personnel they had two tight ends in the game trying to run the football second and eight they had the they switched to kind of a passing play look like for that one and nope ran the football ahead for a gain at least of two so looking at third and six for the game and at this point you're like at about a minute 50 or so left Seattle's got one timeout and I was just looking at this like I'm like okay it's a crucial third down play you knew that this is something Arizona had to kind of get right. And they handed off the ball to David Johnson, at least. He said that he ran left and didn't make the right read on the play, but it really didn't matter because the play was blown up for the most part at the line of scrimmage. The Cardinals then end up kicking the field goal. It's still not an easy make, at least with that, with Phil Dawson. There's still going to be time left in the clock for, Russ, clock for, for, left for Russell Wilson. What does Phil Dawson do? Pulls the field goal wide right. The Seahawks take over, and you're like, oh, gosh, this, here it goes again. Sure enough, Russell Wilson – Drives a couple of plays down with that one. They kick the field goal to win. Steve Wilkes does not ice the kicker. It almost looked like after that decision didn't work, it didn't feel like the team had given up, but it almost felt like Steve Wilkes, like there was no creativity. There was no areas. The Cardinals even could have, you know, called another timeout that they had in that aspect to be able to like, you know, slow down uh, Seattle at least at some point after they'd gotten one of the first downs or gotten out of bounds. He could have just taken a little extra time, but felt like he kind of rolled over and, 
we're entering into another week where people are talking about how the Cardinals offense didn't play very well this time. They fortunately had a quarterback who did, but overall it just reflects onto this coaching staff and just the decisions that we're seeing from Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy. John, what are your, some of your thoughts on that? Because it, it just, it's at some point mystifying to me that we keep talking about this, but on the other hand, it hasn't really become surprising to me at all. That's almost kind of shocking to think about. No, after they ran the ball in third and six, I said it would be poetic justice for him to miss the field goal because that is, that's bushly coaching in the NFL. You deserve to lose when you when you coach that way, and uh, and that's exactly what happened. This is big boy football. This isn't you know college football. This isn't you know the Big Ten. This is this is the NFL. And the sooner that Steve Wilkes realizes that the stage and the platform that he's on the better the Cardinals are going to be at. Because right now, I, I honestly feel like he is deferring 99% of the time offensively to Mike McCoy. I mean, he, he made the call on third down to, to run the football. Um, but, you know, that, that's Mike McCoy's preference. That, that's what Mike McCoy wanted to do. And, you know, shame on him. Josh Rosen was four for four on that drive, making it look easy, threading the needle, and they decided to take the ball out of their best player's hands. David Johnson was not effective on the ground, 3.2 yards per carry. Again, I think that's more scheme-based, but there's nothing that was going to say that he was going to bust off a 20-yard run, and especially when the Seattle Seahawks stacked the box and knew it was coming. Zero creativity. It's, at the end of the day, not surprising to Cardinal fans. I mean, they deserve to lose after that call. Seahawks didn't complete one-third down on the day we'll get to the defense later defensively I thought they played pretty well uh better than you know the stat sheet indicated um but you know we're on Mike McCoy watch right now we were on Sam Bradford watch for the first three weeks of the season whether or not when he was going to get benched it was only a matter of time right now we're in we're in the Mike McCoy when will he get fired watch I think that right now you're probably looking at the next couple weeks they've got a lot of favorable matchups you've got you know the, the San Francisco 49ers next week who do not look good in the least defensively the Cardinals right now Blake are by and large the worst not even not only the worst offensive team this year they're one of the worst offensive teams to start the season of the last decade they have 37 points this year I'm going to read off the the number of teams that surpassed that total (laughs) this week alone the Rams scored 38 the Bears scored 48 this week. The Texans scored 37. The Patriots scored 38. The Raiders and the Browns both scored 40-plus. I mean, it's just that's it's really sad and depressing. It's embarrassing. Uh, and at the end of the day, they just – you know, I tweeted this out earlier today or this this weekend that, you know, like what in what league are Mike McCoy and Sean McVay both calling plays in the NFL? Like it's – Mike McCoy right now is in a different yeah. – like – atmosphere than, than what Sean McVay and the, the LA Rams are doing. It's not like, it's like they're not even in, in the same league. It's like they coach in different leagues. It's, it's like when you're watching an SEC team go up against like, you know, Grambling state or something like yep. that. It just feels exact- like they're totally outclassed. And you know what? The Cardinals have players offensively. You know, I'm sick of people saying the receiving core is, is subpar. They had a terrible day Sunday. And you know what? I can't defend the amount of drops that they had. But I think we're going to see moving forward that they've got some young players to be excited about. I think the Patriots, I think the Cowboys would love to have Christian Kirk. They'd obviously love to have Larry Fitzgerald banged up with a hamstring, uncharacteristic performance from him. I think he'll be better. Ricky Seals-Jones, 52 yards. He's the best receiving threat tight end-wise the Cardinals have had in a while. He's only in year two. He's barely played. I mean, like Chad Williams, former third rounder, Clearly has a rapport with Josh Rosen. Should have had two touchdowns. He's David been able John- to beat people off of the line, and you've been able to find a big target who can go up and make yeah. some of those con- – Like it, it reminded me very much in that touchdown passive. It was almost like one of those plays you'd expect for Michael Floyd to make. It's one of those plays Fitzgerald would make you know, back during the Kurt Warner days. Yeah. Clearly he's not that type of receiver anymore. But it's one of those areas of where you talk about a quarterback who makes a team better. The Cardinals still let him down yesterday, make no mistake yes. about it. But yes. he took a guy who was completely invisible with Sam Bradford and Chad Williams and the guy should have had two touchdowns that day and over 100 yards receiving yeah you can do a lot worse than Chad Williams as your third or fourth receiver I, I honestly believe that we'll fast forward to the offseason in a different podcast I expect them to add pass catchers to this offense um, you know whether or not Larry Fitzgerald is back you know Chad Williams 
You know Christian Kirk. You know Ricky Seals-Jones. You know David Johnson. They're all going to be back. They're all going to have played 14-plus games with Josh Rosen, which is great for rapport going into next season. You're starting a rookie center. Listen, I think the offensive line, by and large, played pretty effectively. I know that the PFF grades didn't indicate, you know, how well they played one way or the other. I think the majority of their scores, like Humphreys, was in the 60s. Um, but, you know, they only gave up that one sack on the first drive. Yes, they gave up some pressures. But Rosen, sneaky mobile, like we talked about, was able to extend plays with his legs, was able to throw the ball away when he had to. Um, you know, I, I, they gave up, I think, roughly about seven QB hits. And the Seattle's front seven, it's not what it was, but it's, it's still is effective unit. I mean, they had a nice victory the week before. Frank, Frank Clark's a nice player. You know, Jerron Ger- Reed's a nice player. They've got some decent players up front now. It's the back end of their defense that's got the problems. Right. I even remember the, the one sack that Rosen did take. Mikey Potty just got destroyed by Jerron Reed yeah. off the line. Um, one of the other plays, and Ron, I believe it was one of Ro- Rosen's highlight plays, showed Frank Clark was rushing toward um, – I believe it was the was the the right tackle and Larry Fitzgerald comes out and just destroys him out of the side of the screen and it was just one of those kind of classic Cardinal Seahawks ticky tacky areas. This is a kind of in some ways a legit rivalry and part of the reason is just because the Cardinals have not been able to figure out the Seahawks at home when the end of the season rolls around they go up to Seattle the Seahawks either have clinched or are kind of unsuspecting the Cardinals seem to kind of will their way into a victory up there from one way or another um, unfortunately the Cardinals were not able to will their way into a victory today we have you know there's positivity there's a lot of like excitement we're talking about but really outside of Josh Rosen that was really all that there was for the most part to be positive about outside of maybe a defense that was you know with Brian Schottenheimer I even tweeted out before the game that Schottenheimer is bringing an antique offense back to the NFL not why the Seahawks are limiting Russell Wilson his capabilities that way they did not start moving the ball against the Cardinals until they started using more of the zone read where they were able to get around the edge Uh, some of that containment that Steve Wilkes' defense has struggled with for that one still popped up so really I think it's tough to be able to say at least for the most part that while you think this Cardinals defense, you've seen them take strides. You know, they limited the Bears in points in the, the previous week, which risky goes off against a bad defense. They limit the Seahawks for the most part. Seahawks did not complete a, da- a first, I believe, a third down again. They're 0 of 11 for that one. And they still end up walking away at the win. So let's talk a little bit just about what we've seen with the negative. And I think a lot of it is reflecting on not just with Phil Dawson. We've talked about there was at least five drops in the game that were placed there for that one. I want to talk a little bit about just with some of the scheme, what we talked about with seeing with Mike McCoy, what we've seen at least from Steve Wilkes. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed when we talked about with creativity, I went down and charted um, each of the different offensive plays that I was looking at in the game for that one. One of the ones that stood out to me at least was just like, you know, Chase Edmonds in at at running back for that one. They took David Johnson off the field in third down. It's a delayed handoff. He got dragged down for a loss on third and long. He was just like, oh my God, this is the third and long play that they're handing the ball off and just basically punting on that possession. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like it was a play to kind of gain yards to get into a better position to punt. I went and counted and charted for 11 personnel. One of the tips I heard previously from someone who had a lot of experience with Mike McCoy, which has been Albright in uh, the Denver area, he said that what McCoy does is he will pretend like he can adapt to his personnel. And he will not do that. He will just run straight 11 personnel and then a power run game, at least, where sometimes on first down, just bring in two tight ends and try to push the pile forward. And it will just backfire on you because there's no creativity. I counted at least 21 plays that I counted in 11 personnel, whether it was trips right. And for those who are listening with football, 11 personnel is when you have one running back, one tight end, and that means that the rest of the players are wide receivers. Here, McCoy used Ricky Seals-Jones at times, as a wide receiver, sometimes he was a tight end, and he used that at least 45% of the time. Now, when he was using on first down, these first down runs that were going off of where he just, you know, loads the box, we're just going to run the ball straight forward, you know, with David Johnson, even though he's an elite wide receiver and an elite receiving running back. The Cardinals ran the ball 15 times in first and 10, according to Pro Football Focus. Three of those rushes gained four-plus yards. So you're talking about you're already setting yourself up in a second-and-long type of situation which means that if there's an incompletion, you're in third and log. If you hand the ball off again, then it just depends on whatever that play call is going to be. You're talking about three quarters of the time that Mike McCoy is putting the team into a position where there's not enough creativity, there's not enough new sprinkles, because 75% of the time you're using either a predictable play call or a play call where the routes and the execution, everything has to be 
really well done ultimately. So, John, talk a little bit about what you've seen from Mike McCoy, because for me, looking as a fan of seeing what this scheme is and how it's changing, we didn't see many changes at all with Rosen outside of a deeper passing attack. I really looked like a lot of was, the scheme was there was not adjusted. I counted one time in my hand that you saw a five-wide David Johnson lineup as a wide receiver. They threw the ball to him with that one out of an empty set. It was the closest thing we've seen to kind of the Bruce Arians 2016 offense on third and five. They threw it to David Johnson. He made two guys miss and picked up a first down. I was like, wow, there it is. That's exactly what we've been talking about. That was the only time that I charted that they went to it all game. What are we to make, at least, of Mike McCoy? We're talking about this offensive coordinator again for another week with this Arizona Cardinals team leading to a loss. He's going to be the story until one of two things happens. Either he's fired and Byron Leftwich takes over uh, as the interim OC, and, and we can see what he does, uh, again, serving as the quarterback coach with Bruce Arians last year, or the team's going to turn it around, and I have a hard time believing that uh, that they're going to light the world on fire. And at the end of the day, if anything is hampering Josh Rosen's development, uh, namely Mike McCoy, then you need to get that individual out, out of the building. Um, it, what leads me to, to hope for a little bit of turnaround is what we saw or what we're seeing in Atlanta with Steve Sarkeesian adapting to his personnel, his talent. They were uh, pretty inept offensively last year, especially when you consider all the weapons that they have in Atlanta. They've since turned it around this year. But, again, that took a whole season to implement, you know, what he wanted to do offensively. And now you're starting to see it pay dividends. The Cardinals don't have that kind of time. Uh, Mike McCoy, to me right now, is on a week-to-week basis with the bye week uh, after week eight really being kind of the benchmark for what kind of increase offensive uh, production have are we seeing. Uh, the Cardinals scored six points in their first game, and those six points came uh, basically in garbage time against the Redskins. They were shut out on the road in their only road game against the L.A. Rams. Last week they took a 14-0 lead against the Bears and were shut out the remainder of the game after the first quarter. And then against the Seahawks this week, probably should have had upwards of 28 points, left a lot of points on the field, and again – you know, every week's going to be different in terms of you're not always going to be on offensively. Players are going to make mistakes, lead to penalties, have drops. Um, but at the same time, are you making the necessary changes to your play design, to personnel? How many times have we seen that slow developing, you know, toss to David Johnson that inevitably goes nowhere on first down, loss of two yards to three yards, and, and suddenly you're behind the eight ball, you know, long delayed handoffs draws on third down that essentially punt on the drive. I mean, like teams are completing passes for, and you know, touchdown passes at a crazy high rate this year. When you talk about the rule changes, everybody seems to be benefiting from that. Uh, those rule changes other than the Arizona Cardinals. And you see how in command Josh Rosen is of this offense already. And just imagine what he could do with a John Filippo or, or, or Sean McVay, somebody like that who's innovative, Matt Nagy. I mean, if, if Josh Rosen was the Chicago Bears quarterback right now, you'd be talking about them as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Everybody just assumes that Mitch Trubisky is going to hold them back. The Cardinals right now, this is what our concern was in the spring, Blake. We like the Steve Wilkes hire, but at the same time, a lot of it de- depended on could they find that innovative offensive mind. And if they did and they had success, what happens when that – coordinator eventually gets a head coaching job you know what I mean so it was always like it just makes too much sense not to pair your rookie quarterback with an elite offensive mind but again they didn't know who they were going to get in the draft it was a toss-up that's why they gave Sam Bradford 20 million dollars go as kind of a contingency plan thank God they got Rosen when they did and um, they were able to move forward with you know the personnel that they had and, and bench Bradford after, you know, three and a half games, but or two and a half games. At the end of the day, Mike McCoy right now has to look in the mirror and say, do I want to stay employed past the bye week? And if so, I have to adjust to what my personnel does best. I have to adjust to what my quarterback does best. I have to push the ball downfield. Because right now the Cardinals, even though with the receiving core, you know, their hands, the drop passes were an issue – they were, they were getting separation against the Seahawks secondary. Christian Kirk, J.J. Nelson, mm-hmm. Ricky Seals-Jones, Chad Williams, Larry Fitzgerald were open and getting separation. And I, I don't think the Cardinal receiving core is going to be that poor again. I honestly think, Blake, against San Francisco, so depleted defensively, 
so average at so many positions, no threat of an edge rusher on that team. I think the Cardinals could put up 30 points this week kind of by default. And I think it could be a, a turning point for the season. But I will tell you right now, if they struggle against this San Francisco defense, I know it's a road game. <laughs> if they struggle in this game, you have to consider making a change moving forward because you're going to then go against an angry Minnesota defense that right now is, is really going to be fighting for their playoff lives after a subpar start to the season. That, that could get ugly. Not only is this their best opportunity to score points, it's really their best opportunity to get a win before the bye. But I, I do think we could see an offensive explosion in this game. I mean, like, how many times did Bruce Arians just school the San Francisco defense with the likes of Drew Stanton? I mean, now you've got a legitimate franchise quarterback. You should be able to drop 30 points on them this week. I don't care what the personnel you know, disadvantages you have, you think you have offensively, Mike McCoy should be able to put on his big boy pants and put up that, that right now it's described to me as a, a preseason game four type of defensive personnel that they're, they're trotting out there on the back end. And then, you know, offensively, I think the Cardinals defense is finally going to force some turnovers this week and, and give the Cardinals a, a short field. But right now, I think this is the biggest game of Mike McCoy's career based on everything that's on the line, because Right now, you're a laughing stock in a league that puts up points at a premium. Yeah, and part of the reason why I think you're a laughing stock is, and some of this is I have an article I'm like trying to work on to kind of compile a lot of information together, but in some cases, maybe we should have seen this coming by the Cardinals, looking at all of Bruce Arians' success, looking at kind of what the no-risk-it, no-biscuit type of mentality did, looking at where the league was going in terms of offense, seeing, okay, maybe the seven-step drops isn't something that's going to be functional at least for an older type of quarterback but it was that they went in the opposite direction by finding you know an idea to hey we want to try to run the football we want to make sure that we're taking a lot of this time of possession we want to make sure we're winning games of defense and this is kind of after you know watching a Super Bowl where the Eagles and uh, Patriots were just exchanging blows back and forth with no defense really being played I, I think that what's been hard for Cardinals fans to you know accept and recognize is that in one case there's some fans who are like people are just requesting things to happen too quickly like it's almost like you know game one cardinals look terrible fire everybody that's not the way you go around as an organization and part of it is it's a good thing too you don't want to be that team who goes and fires a guy too soon obviously but on the other hand it's frustrating for fans to be able to go and have to sit through a lot of these different games like you're talking about where you can see if there's a need for a change or recognizing more that there was a mistake that was made Wilkes basically summed up a lot of the different stuff after the game in two different things for me. I at least made notes of one of them was talking about how players were lining up wrong on some of the different edge runs, like especially the touchdown run where Russell Wilson was blocking in front so that they didn't have the containment. They didn't line up in the right spot defensively. The first thing that came to my mind was, okay, if guys didn't line up in the right spot defensively, then are you going to be able to call a timeout? Because apparently this happened over multiple plays. So if that's the case, then is there – one of the things I was confused by was I thought that Steve Wilkes was going to bring in a defense. What he promised was players are going to think less, be able to have less responsibilities, less assignments, and guys are either still lining up wrong. So some of that is just something that doesn't seem to jive, whereas what's being kind of preached to, the, to what fans are saying to being preached to the players, something isn't jiving. The second thing was you didn't decide that you could call a timeout. It's similarly where you decide not to ice the kicker. Janikowski missed two field goals in a row. You didn't want to kind of, you know, say, hey, they've driven down the field close enough. Maybe see if you wanted to call a timeout. It was just very odd as far as the decisions that have been made. But what's worse is the response that was made afterwards on third and six. You know, you've got a rookie quarterback. You didn't gain any plays in the first one. I understand you kind of running the ball there perhaps one. But the way that he defended it was just a, nope, no matter what happens, at least I don't have any regrets, I would do it again. It was an area where you felt like that was ultimately Steve Wilkes saying, this, isn't, this is me being conservative to the core because that's who I am. I know there was a, a couple of national writers, I believe John Layard even tweeted out and said, like, you can add Steve Wilkes to coaching like a coward type of move. You look at the Browns losing a game, the national media is lampooning Hugh Jackson just for his decision on fourth and one to not go for it because, well, you know, Lady Luck probably wasn't going to stay and remain on our side. That's almost the exact same decision you made here. You had Rosen completing, I think it was four or four or four or five passes 
driving down the field. You're at third and sixth. You literally just complete a first down. You win the game because all you have to do at that point is just run the clock out, kick a field goal, or you get sent into overtime at worst, even if something crazy does happen. You don't – you basically are – you played not to lose the game in that aspect where you're like, we're afraid that we're going to have the completion, whether it was afraid of Josh Rosen being able to – you know, whether it was him missing the throw or throwing an interception, if you're afraid about his confidence, you probably don't have to be after you watch that Chicago Bears game where he had the two picks, came back and had maybe one of the best rookie debuts ever. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we wanted to at least touch on is when you're looking at what Josh Rosen and Steve Wilkes are, do we have to have kind of the concern that I think that you and I have had was not just about having a defensive coach, because there's a plenty of defensive coaches who succeed in the NFL, but it's, what does the defense actually bring for that? And, John, we're, we're going to get into that here next here on the Bird Game Boys. You know, we'll... Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Progressive presents Get Pumped. Inspiration to help you do insurance stuff. Okay, time out. You're going to let your budget be the boss of you? Take control with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay for car insurance, and we'll help you find options that fit your budget. Here's some music to get you pumped. I hear your budget laughing at you. Oh, wait, that's just those kids laughing at me. Ignore them! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back back into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. John, let's talk a little bit about the defense with the Cardinals because we've had our issues with the defense, how it's been used, the talent level. At least we saw Dan Buchanan back on the field. Saw a hapless Seahawks offense that really has been beat up, didn't get much going as far as until the second half with the read option. And then you kind of saw this breakaway where there's still 170 yards that were given on the ground. And with Chris Carson wasn't even playing. You're talking about like maybe the third string running back and Mike Davis behind their first round pick and Rashad Penny, just kind of running away with the game for the most part, at least where they came back and, I just it's kind of mystifying to me at least of what John what are we to make of Steve Wilkes and his defense at this point is this kind of a spot where the offense the offensive coordinator is the problem or do we need to start worrying about Steve Wilkes not in just terms of his decisions as a head coach we've talked about in the third and sixth in the previous week or just in his defensive scheme or do you think that there's still areas the Cardinals can build off on I'll start with areas I think they can build off on if I this is surprising I'm sure for a lot of fans they haven't given up a touchdown pass in two weeks. Last week, they held Mitch Trubisky without one, picked him off, uh, passed a rating of 73, and then this week made Russell Wilson look relatively average, didn't pass for over 200 yards, and, and didn't throw a touchdown. Now, Mike Davis did run all over them for over 100 yards and two TDs, but again, the Cardinals' strength defensively right now is that defensive secondary. Patrick Peterson probably playing the best football of his career looks phenomenal, specifically in the run game where he has been a little bit hesitant in the past. Uh, very, very active in the run game. Looks terrific. Benet Ben Wickery has been a very nice addition to the secondary, kind of out of nowhere. I think he's somebody that the Cardinals could look to lock up past this season. He certainly has taken over that number two role. 27 years old, in his fifth season, was a former fifth-round pick, of course, for Carolina. Has experience with Steve Wilkes. He has been a nice player. Of course, Buda Baker, ascending player. I think he ought to make a Pro Bowl this year. Uh, and Antoine Bethea is fairly solid. Trey Boston, I think, is a little bit hit or miss. But again, he's on a one-year deal. The secondary for the Cardinals looks pretty good. Uh, the problem is right now the run defense for Arizona is just non-existent. Back-to-back weeks with, with over 100 yards for the opposing team. Uh, multiple touchdowns given up on the ground. They just, right now, they're too Part of it, I think, is scheme. Part of it, I just – I don't think they have the athletes up the middle that that, the, that they need to run this 4-3 defense. The personnel just doesn't fit what they're trying to do at this point. Robert Kendici is having his best season. He's still progressing. He still get, has to put together a full 16-game season. And uh, I think he's going to be a nice building block moving forward. Probably is never going to justify that first-round pick. Uh, but at the same time, two sacks, a tackle for loss again yesterday. It's that 
other nose tackle, defensive tackle, uh, three technique position next to Robert. The Cardinals just don't have that run stuffing defensive tackle, that presence right there um, that can not only penetrate against the pass, but more importantly against the run, stopping the run on first and second down. Corey Peters looks fairly average at this point. The Cardinals need an upgrade at that other defensive tackle position. And then, of course, the most disappointing facet of this defense is the fact that the linebacker situation remains in flux. Dale Buchanan did see a sizable increase in playing time this week, had six tackles, uh, looked out of position at times, did make a couple nice uh, tackles, um, you know. In and one bad penalty, too. <laughs> yep, yep. So he, he looked – uh, I, I would say he looked decent. He had plays where he was exposed, and he had plays where he looked like they own the old day own. You made a nice point on Twitter, Blake, during the game. I think he's somebody that's going to see his playing time increase, and I think he's going to have a solid end of the season again coming off that injury into training camp. Basically, he didn't have an off season, so he's playing himself into shape. But I, I just I don't think he's going to be somebody the Cardinals look to extend at the end of the season. I think they're going to go a different direction. Uh, and Hassan Reddick only had one tackle. That one tackle was a sack, had a nice play to bring down Russell Wilson, but again, not seeing a lot of playing time. Um, so really Josh Bynes, the Buchanan looks serviceable, but those, the Cardinals are going to probably need at least two linebackers this off season. They're probably going to address it in free agency and, and potentially in the draft, uh, which is disappointing. And so, uh, Chandler Jones to me, again, he's going to end up with 12, 13 sacks this year. He's averaging a little less than a sack per game. Had a, had a borderline dominant game in, the, in this contest. The Cardinals aren't getting a lot from their other rush end position. So I, I just think they're too average up the middle. But I, I do think that the, the, um, the ascension of Benabin ben Wickery, I think the, the fact that this the secondary looks promising gives me hope that they can continue to find ways to make stops in, in critical junctures. I do also want to say, Blake, to end this rant with this, mm-hmm. the Cardinals – offensively put their defense in such poor positions and I thought they responded fairly well uh you know I I think that with an average offense average offensive performance on Sunday they're they're probably only going to give up roughly 14 points short fields um you know the end of the game I'm not going to hold too much against them because that that play call uh, on third and six deflated the entire stadium and I'm sure it deflated the the defense as well so you're giving up 20 points one week and uh, 16 points the other week, back-to-back home games, probably ought to win both those games. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing about why the Cardinals have not won those games is because they've scored 37 points on the season, at least. Um, One of their Revenge of the Birds writers, I know, and actually the site manager for that, Seth Cox, even said, yeah, the Cardinals scored 37 points on the season. There were seven teams who scored more than 37 points this week. (laughs) So that just sums up what the offensive explosion is that you're looking at, whereas the Cardinals keep having these different offensive problems. And even though they finally figure out the quarterback and they've absolved the offense a little bit with some of the more creative, at least play calling in terms of taking like maybe a baby step forward versus taking a giant leap. Maybe there'll be more improvement as Rosen gets more comfortable. Maybe again, as we've talked about with a coordinator change, I don't know if, you can tie Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy the whole season. It'll just – it's one of those spots that I think you're going to give the next three to four games or so at least to see what goes on with him and McCoy. If you keep having these same issues of this third and six, some of these different issues, I think it is going to come down to the fact that the Cardinals hired a conservative coach, and this is a league that is being focused on, you know, not being as conservative in that aspect because the rules are favoring offense. The rules are favoring passing in a lot of those different regards. Um Getting back, at least with the defense, I do kind of think that, honestly, in my opinion, I think that the up the middle of the defense, I think, has been fine. Maybe there's some of the areas there's been some gap questions, but it's been around the edge. And so whether that's an issue with Chandler Jones, with his position, from what I've seen, I think that they've been finding a player opposite him who's maybe a more pure defensive end, at least in Marcus Golden, who's coming off an ACL. doesn't seem like the same player. Uh, perhaps uh, putting a Hassan Raddick in there in that spot. I don't know if he's a true 4-3 defensive end. I don't know as far as with the blitzes, but he had a sack in that game because you just let him run and be able to go and get that tackle for loss. To be just able be to an play. athlete, yeah. Be an athlete. And that's really what I think the issue is with this team is that the Cardinals under the previous regime, they drafted athletes, they drafted flexible safeties who can play multiple positions and be able to whether blitz for the passer or being able to drop back into coverage. 
and being able to have strong defensive linemen who would just kind of play contain, stuff the run up front, and allow the linebackers to kind of be the ones to come in and make those plays. You've got a very different type of defense now with Steve Wilkes. The linebackers are expected to make the plays in coverage, and the defensive linemen have to be the ones who can maintain their gaps and make multiple tackles. I think that we've seen improvement in some of those different areas, but I think there's still ultimately some fault to the fact is that there's players on this defense, I think, who maybe were better suited for the older scheme, and you're not either adapting to it in some aspects. Like Buda Baker, for the most part, up until this week, played as a linebacker. He had one of his better games in coverage this week because he finally got a chance to be able to go and make plays in that secondary because Dale Buchanan was able to be in a linebacker type of role. So perhaps this is an area where over time you can see some of a change, but this is a spot where for, at least me personally, I can't help but wonder if the Cardinals had chosen to go in finding a veteran defensive coordinator with some of these things. Maybe it was even hiring Al Holcomb away from the Panthers would have been an interesting type of move and getting an offensively minded head coach to be able to work with and develop Rosen. Because uh, to be quite perfectly honest, Rosen's best game in this thing came from what he was under heavy pressure. You look at the touchdown passes in the other plays, he was getting hit and knocked down immediately afterwards. And that is one of the spots that we're going to look into the Cardinals of having to address or fix into next year. I know you've talked about, you know, the Cardinals are going to need to take a look at their left guard position. Your potty at least is still having issues in pass protection. You're not seeing the same run game benefit. And at right tackle, for the most part, it seems that Justin Pugh, they've paid him the big money contract. He hasn't been as impressive overall, but I do think that if you do end up seeing some changes, at least with the team, there's at least room to look forward to. But in the right now, this is a team that is going to go into San Francisco next week. Now, we're going to move on to talking kind of and summing up with San Francisco, just kind of previewing that game because they really did give the Chargers a run at it. But I wanted to bring up this idea, at least, of when people are talking about – some people have mentioned bringing an overhaul. Some people have talked about that Steve Kime deserves to be fired for that one. John, let's talk a little bit about that because on one hand you can see that there's maybe weaknesses where you're seeing that you've spent years and invested tons of picks, first-rounders galore on this offensive line. You've seen kind of questions in the run game despite the fact that you've invested with multiple first-round picks and linebackers. You've got a lot of defensive linemen you've attributed, guys like Patrick Peterson in the backfield. We'll, we'll see how Bene Benwickery does. I remember he got torched by Julio Jones a few years back in that role against the Panthers. But – what do you think as far as for the job that Steve Kime has currently done up to this point? Is it worth saying this is a person who should be moving on from the end of the Cardinals at the end of the season? Or is this kind of fans looking at some of the different areas, maybe making a little bit of a mountain out of a molehill? I think it's short-sighted. And first I want to say that let's put aside the off-the-field concerns with Steve Kime. The, uh, yeah, as the, far as the situation with his extreme DUI. Yeah, like, he's paid his dues literally with like, I think hundreds of thousands of dollars of right. for that one as well. If you want to say that he deserves to be fired because of, because of that, if a DUI has affected you in your life, like I have no problem with you saying that. Like Agreed. if somebody, if somebody has an issue with that and I thought they were going to make a change after he had to go spend uh, two or three nights in, in jail, like that's totally fine. From an on-the-field perspective, from a draft perspective, I'd probably give him a B overall as the Cardinal GM. Listen, he's the best, he's the best GM they've ever had. Uh, he's been with the organization for a long time. He just got a three-year contract extension. He's not going anywhere. No GM is perfect. Uh, his first three years as GM, I, probably the best stretch they've ever had from a, from a, from a GM at, at any point. I know Danny Green and Rod Graves had a nice 20, 2004 draft, but they could never string together – consecutive drafts that would produce quality players. And that's, and that's what, that's kind of the, the mantra of, of building a great team is if you can put together three good off seasons, you're a Super Bowl contender, assuming you have the coach and the quarterback. Steve Kime in 2013 took a five and 11 team and took it to 10 and six. From there, it went to the, the wild card round of the playoffs, went to the NFC championship game. Then for whatever reason, they got stagnant. They went with older players in free agency. They went in the win-now mode with Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians. Didn't plan so much for the future, and it kind of bit them. Now you've seen them reset. You've seen them have, uh, I think, one of their best drafts with the franchise quarterback with, uh, at worst, a number two receiver in the second round. Your third-round center is playing. is going to log some valuable stats, building rapport with your franchise quarterback, and – Say what you want about Steve Kime's first-round picks. They have not been great. That's, I think that's the biggest con- cause for concern with mm-hmm. Steve. But a couple of those picks, latter half of the first round, guys, Dayon Buchanan was in the 20s. Robert Kandichi was in the 20s. DJ Humphreys was in the 20s. Mm-hmm. You're picking them in the 20s because you're a playoff contender. 
Now let's see what Steve Kime can do because they're going to be picking obviously high this year. Uh, he traded up for Rosen last year, A plus there. Uh, Hassan Reddick, again, not a great pick. Jonathan Cooper, not a great pick. Let's see what he does this year. He's going to have presumably a top five to seven pick, assuming the cards don't go on any kind of winning streak. He's, he's shown to be exceptional in free agency, in the trade market prior to the draft, acquiring Carson Palmer, Chandler Jones, uh, securing Jared Valdir at left tackle, who produced several quality years for the Cardinals. Um, he's made some nice moves leading up to the draft, and especially post-draft, uh, with the John Abrahams of the world, Dwight Freeney, Jermaine Gresham was a nice signing when the Cardinals brought him in. Uh, they got a, Antonio Cormarty one year on a one-year contract. He made the Pro Bowl. Like Steve Kime is an is a above-average general manager. He's not perfect. Um, he's not. You know, he's probably on the same level. I like to think of as uh, the general manager in Atlanta. The name escapes me. Um, oh, yeah. who makes mistakes, but at the same time is aggressive, goes for it. And I, I think we've seen more aggression from Steve Kime, mm-hmm. knowing that I got to get my pass rusher, he gets Chandler Jones, probably the best trade outside of Carson Palmer in the history of this franchise. I got to get my quarterback, trade it up for Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. So you got two of the big three positions right there, cornerstone positions in the NFL. You even uh, talk about like even this last year, trade it up for Buda Baker with that one. Right. All of a sudden, you see Tyron Matthew is not healthy enough, leaves the Cardinals. Cardinals don't miss a beat. There was foresight enough that you had with some of these different positions here where I think I totally agree with you that it's when you're talking about letting go and firing a GM, it's for having to see a string of multiple misses or right. terrible decisions at least. That are setting Big back money contracts that don't work out. Yes, I can, give, I can criticize Steve for not re-signing Calais Campbell. I can criticize him for not re-signing and paying Tony Jefferson. Which was hard to do with all the limited amount of contract space that they had because of Palmer Fitz and others. Right. Are those backbreakers? No. Yeah. So the other thing I think when you brought this up, it was an interesting thought, at least as we kind of wrap up the Steve Kine bit, was let's take a look at when you're talking about these first-round picks because the first first overall first-round pick that you see of the Ken Wissenhunt era – was Levi Brown. And that's going to be one of those kind of defining picks that you had from because people kept going back to why is Levi Brown still on this roster when you're talking about the year 2012, even into 2013, because there wasn't just enough for them to have Levi Brown. They had to give him a big, con- like a decent enough contract for an offensive tackle and re-sign him and bring him back. And that was perhaps one of the interesting things of where you compare a similar aspect to Jonathan Cooper of a highly top 10 drafted first round offensive lineman ends up basically being one of the larger busts that you have, you see that they moved on from Jonathan Cooper. And it was kind of like, we recognize this is a mistake. We're still going to try to make this work at least, but it wasn't like a repeated amount of mistakes. It was more that there was at least the ability to learn from them. Some of the other first round picks you see Beanie Wells. This is a pick of uber talented, often injured player. That's been one of the biggest differences. I think we saw with the time arrow was trying to find guys who have starts and have durability overall. You talk about then with Dan Williams, this is kind of one of the picks that you have of drafting a nose tackle, at least with a, you know, first round pick just kind of gone out at least during that era of the NFL. And you kind of wrap it up with that 2012 year of Michael Floyd, where you just see this kind of identity of taking players to kind of fit positions for that one, but it wasn't really finding it at, great value it was our offense is struggling so let's go out and draft a wide receiver to fix the offense you hardly started Wisenhunt did not play a lot of starters moving over to the Kime era you look at Cooper obviously we talked about Buchanan but you take a look at DJ Humphreys and Robert Candici and those have been two of probably your leaders on this defensive line this year I think right. part of the reason why fans have really rejected is because without those first year results or even the year two results for Humphreys and then for Buchanan Humphreys due to injury uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, and then Kandichi obviously due to both injury and having to adjust. I think that's been part of it is that kind of confirmation bias of we knew that this pick was a bust. You're not recognizing that now you've got two guys who are starting, contributing, and playing well. You even mentioned it. Humphreys didn't let up a sack yesterday. Seems to be kind of hitting his stride in on the offensive line and now on Josh Rosen's blind side. So I think that that's where when you're looking at for these different types of players, you look at some of the depth guys of finding the Tyron Matthews in the third round, finding the David Johnsons, even taking a Marcus Golden, who probably has been so far one of the best pass rushers in that class. I think there's been a lot more hits than misses. And in that case, I think a lot of cases, Steve Kime is 
done really well. This isn't the case where Michael Biddle gave him a two-year contract. This is where he wanted to extend him for the long term. I don't think anything short of another DUI would see Steve Kime end up leaving this Cardinals team. And I do believe that he is going to be the general manager entering into the 2019 season. The only exception might be is if this offensive line starts getting hurt and it's on Steve to have these depth guys, you start seeing Josh Rosen get hurt and all of a sudden you go back to Sam Bradford, Mike Glennon, and the whole thing kind of tumbles downhill because of an inability to protect your quarterback. I think that's about the only case that I can really see, John. I don't know. Do you have any kind of parting thoughts at least before we move on to previewing the Niners game this week? No, and back to your point about Levi Brown. Levi Brown probably is the worst pick in probably the history of the franchise since they moved to Arizona. I know they had the Wendell Bryants of the world, guys who didn't even suit up. But you talk about what what Levi Brown cost this franchise. Levi Brown over Adrian Peterson absolutely cost him a Super Bowl with Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, and Anquan Bolden. Um, Levi Brown, to me, was the quintessential – mistake that like you said Blake they continue to try to make work and mm-hmm. I think that's the great part about Steve Kime is like if a guy can't play Steve's like I, I, I'm moving on uh, I'm trading Jonathan Cooper he can't stay on the field he can't stay healthy I'm flipping him I want a pass rusher right and so Tyron Matthew go, they moved on from Tyron Matthew despite the right. fact that they could have had one more year at least with him and they said it's that like, number hey, was unreasonable but he said you know we, we just have to move on we've got our number we want to bring you back but you're going to want to hold out for all of the money we just can't afford it hey Tyron you play a position that's devalued in the NFL right now you can't stay healthy you had a subpar season and you ended up taking a pay cut uh, in free agency uh, less than what the Cardinals were willing to pay you. I mean, Steve Kime is a shrewd businessman. I think that's one of his best attributes is kind of take or to leave it contract. We saw that with Trey Boston in this off season where he basically gave him an offer up front. Trey Boston tweeted about how uh, it was disrespectful. And then several weeks later, he, he's taking that offer. I mean, like yep. you, you got to feel good when, when, uh, when Steve Kime, now again, uh, I'm giving him all this praise, and I think he's done a, a pretty admirable job, but he gave Sam Bradford $20 million. I mean, like, mm-hmm. that that's kind of the outlier with him is like, okay, he couldn't get the quarterback situation figured out until now. He's got Josh Rosen. You're going to be going into this offseason, Blake, with Steve Kime at the helm, hopefully his troubles off the field behind him. You're going to have your franchise quarterback in place. You're going to have, like, $70 million in cap space. You're going to have a top-five pick, and you're going to have a roster that – it's struggling on the surface, but there's some players on this team. You you have the right kind of offseason. You could be a playoff team next year. There's no reason you can't be. And you could be a playoff team ascending, similar to what the L.A. Rams are doing right now, assuming you get the offensive coordinator situation figured out and Steve Wilkes can show he's a competent NFL coach. But Steve Kime at the helm this offseason with $70 million in cap space and a, a rich front seven line of scrimmage draft on both sides of the ball. I, I think that bodes oh, yeah. well for Arizona. Definitely agree with you. Um, and part of the reason why that all stems from, at least obviously, of course, is going to be just from Josh Rosen. It's one game, obviously, for that one. It's going to take time. There's still going to be ups and downs. We even saw that with the two interceptions, one of them that was called back on the penalty against the Bears. But I think it kind of comes down to with a lot of the positivity you have is just from his first start in the NFL, gets a whole week to prep for that one, has drops left and right, doesn't really have, he finally kind of gets a somewhat of a running game going, but really it's just not as much of a creative offense. Finishes with a passer rating at least of 88.5 on the day. That was higher than Drew Brees. That was higher than Aaron Rodgers. That was higher than, uh, I believe, even the other draft picks in that class of Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. And it was higher also than Josh Allen, who, and this is kind of the biggest thing that I was going to have as like a counter as well. If Steve Kime, from what we reportedly have heard, is that he had Josh Allen as his number one quarterback. Allen plays the game opposite almost of Rosen, where Rosen, in terms of with taking the – he'll not want to risk a huge loss in order to try to make a big play at times, kind of live to fight another down, whereas Josh Allen may run around 20 yards to the line of scrimmage, throw deep for a 60-yard touchdown, or they'll throw a pick or take a 15-yard sack for that one. I think a lot of what you can look for, at least, is that type of consistency, and that's part of what you want to build on. Speaking of building on, uh, we're going to kind of getting out of here pretty quick with a shorter version of the Bird Game Blitz tonight, but before we do, we're going to preview the Niners game 
think for next week, the biggest key word you're going to look for, at least, is going to be injuries. That's all going to be here on this final segment of the Bird Gang Blitz. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. And we're back on the Bird Game Blitz podcast. So, John, real quick, I'm just going to read off to you just uh, almost verbatim, at least, as we kind of wrap up tonight and preview this upcoming Niners game. Uh, I believe it's at home for the Arizona Cardinals, unless I'm mistaken, at least. Um, but let's take a look at least uh, – oh, excuse me, I believe that one's actually on the road. They are going to be in Josh Rosen's first road start. Um, they started with injuries at the head of the game against the Chargers last week. Joe Staley, their ta- uh, pro left tackle, Weston Richburg, Mike Glinchy, all have knee issues questionable for this week. They're starting running back Matt Breda. He went out in the game with a bad shoulder, came back in. Pierre Garçon had an ankle injury. He'll be all right. Marquise Goodwin was questionable, thigh and hamstring. Dante Pettis, their rookie wide receiver, who a lot of I really liked him coming out. He was very similar to Christian Kirk in last senses for me. Out this week, also week to week, Solomon Thomas, their star defensive lineman, out with a shoulder sprain. Um, perhaps they'll see with Richard Sherman. They're expecting him to be out, but they're not sure. This is a, a team that is very much beat up, at least for the most part. Um, you've got a quarterback out for the most part with Jimmy Garoppolo. But C.J. Beathard played well. The script overall reading from what the Niners have talked about, the blame in the team went around to almost all the other players, at least. It did not happen to fall on C.J. Beathard. He finished with 298 yards, um, completed actually uh, more passes with Josh Rosen, had two touchdowns and two interceptions. One of them was a dropped interception off of Garrett Selleck. And it was hit consistently for that one, but he didn't look bad at all. So this is interesting when you're talking about with looking at him with George Kittle, their tight end who's kind of blossomed into a star. That sounds almost just like the Arizona Cardinals coming into this, except the biggest difference, of course, is whether it's a backup quarterback that they have, they still do have a creative and great offensive play caller who's playing chess right now in Kyle Shanahan. Johnny, what are you seeing so far from the Niners, and what do you think we can expect from the Cardinals this week? Is this kind of the week where the Cardinals can become a 1-5 team, or excuse me, a 1-4 team, or is this going to be kind of a week where we come back again talking about an 0-5 still winless team? Man, if you lose this game in San Francisco, by the way, the Niners are a four-point favorite right now. But with these injuries, I, I see that line almost to the point where I think it could be a pick by Sunday, uh, especially if, if you've got several offensive linemen out for San Francisco. Um, to me, it's a must-win for Steve, Steve Wilkes. Uh, you can't lose this game. You can't lose this game with the amount of talent disparity between the two teams. Cardinals have more talent on the offensive side and the defensive side than San Francisco. The only area that they, that they do not have the advantage is the coaching. If – if Kyle Shanahan wins this game, he's going to basically have to do it and scheme it on his own. And he's just going to have to school Mike McCoy and Steve Wilkes, and he's capable of doing that. The Cardinals don't have to travel long to get to San Francisco. They don't have a great, you know, home field environment. It's not like you're going up to Seattle and playing in, in the wet, rainy environment there. I mean, the Cardinals have won. Geez, I, I can't remember the last time they've lost at San Francisco or even to San Francisco. I, I think it's dating back to maybe 2014, last time they've lost to this team. And they could easily sweep this team this year. They get them twice in the next month. University of Phoenix Stadium, I think in the next three weeks, they play them at the end of October. The Cardinals have to win this game. I think they will. I think that, again, the Niners right now, their strength to me is their run defense. They've got two exceptional inside linebackers. Obviously, we know what, what Ruben Foster brings to the table. I think that he is starting to find his groove a little bit. It was suspended for the first two games of the season. But really the, the star of this defense that really nobody's talking about is Fred Warner, uh, who's a rookie inside linebacker. That well, he's been fantastic. I think, yeah, I think I, – I believe he went to BYU, 6'3", 225, third-round pick for them. Uh, is kind of in this conversation, sneaky rookie of the year, putting up a lot of nice stats for them. Uh, and so the Cardinals have to do a good job getting to the second level, Justin Pugh, Mike Gallupati, and creating those holes for, for uh, David Johnson. But, you know, Melvin Gordon had a very effective game on this run defense last week. Mm-hmm. But, again, San Diego's got a, a much superior – or L.A. has a much superior offensive line than Arizona does. But I think the, the Cardinals, to me, can push the ball downfield on this Niner team that really right now – Again, 
no exterior or uh, end uh, pass rush to speak of. DeForest Buckner is their only threat to get to the quarterback. He's an interior defensive lineman. Solomon Thomas has been somewhat of a disappointment. Solid against the run, cannot rush uh, the passer whatsoever. Uh, and then, again, no edge pressure to speak of. Their back seven, really right now, especially at corner, is big time struggling. They, they just don't have the, the, the capable uh, corners to, to – to, I think, stay with a Larry Fitzgerald or stay with a Christian Kirk. Cardinals should have some matchups. And then defensively, this is a team that's completely decimated by injuries. No Jimmy Garoppolo. You think about what this Niner team was at the beginning of the season and where they're at now. The Cardinals right now are in a much superior position than San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo is on a big-time money deal. He's Right now, you'd have to label him injury-prone in his only two opportunities to start. He's been injured both times, dating back to his time with, with uh, the New England Patriots. Um, they've got money locked up in a running back that's torn his ACL and Jarek McKinnon. They don't have any skill players to speak of. Their, their roster is a little bit of a mess. And so the Cardinals really could be looking at a scenario where if they just show enough this year and, and, and have some progression specifically offensively, um, you could be talking about them as the second best team in this division going into next season um, with Seattle obviously in flex as well. So I think the Cardinals win this game. Again, I think they put up 30 points. I think they win this game something to the effect of 30 to 21, and I think they win it comfortably. I, I hope I'm right. Uh, I'm putting a lot of a lot of stake into Mike, uh-huh. McCoy, a lot of faith in Mike McCoy. I just the Niners just aren't good enough defensively, and I think that Ro- I have so much confidence and faith in Rosen, as you know, Blake, that I, I think he could, I think he carve up carve up this defense on his own with or without Mike McCoy. Yeah, I think that that's going to be what's most interesting is how will the offensive line do because you've got a, kind of a almost a beat-up Niners team. But that Niners team, what I am looking at is they did play very, very well against a decent – like a, not great, obviously, this year, but a decent Chargers team, at least. The Chargers obviously have their own defensive problems, at least as far as for being able to – they're struggling to rush the passer. They're also being able to have struggles, at least on the offensive side, whether it's due to drops or obviously missed field goals. The Chargers are kind of similar to Arizona, I guess, in that aspect. But it was just interesting because I do think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Kyle Shanahan, unlike with last year with C.J. Beathard, where uh, the offensive line is decimated, if they can put up at least enough of a consistent play where they're able to kind of use it, I just have a feeling at least ultimately that the Niners are going to be able to kind of keep up with Arizona offensively because I think that the Niners have a solid enough run game, especially on the edges. Now we'll, we'll see obviously what goes on with Morris and with Breda as far as their health, but I think it is going to be a higher scoring game ultimately. And I think what's going to be interesting is if we're going to learn a lot about Steve Wilkes and, um, Kyle Shanahan because if Kyle Shanahan is able to with a backup quarterback kind of out scheme and out play where we're talking about an 0-5 team I'd agree with you this is a team where right now from what I'm what you know from I've seen what I looked into with the Niners I think the Niners have a lot more heart in them than they give credit for but I'm not sure if that's an area where the injuries wear them down so for me in this game I'm really having a hard time where it's like it's hard for me to pick the Cardinals because of Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy but after seeing what Josh Rosen did in this first game for that one you've got to think at least some of the areas will at least be addressed and fixed this is going to be an outdoors game the weather should at least be pretty nice at least for the most part I think I'll pick the Cardinals to win in the close one at least but part of me is very not confident like it would not surprise me at least if you end up seeing no. kind of a late I understand game I understand game it's almost like the be- the way I described it is it's hard for me to pick for the Cardinals until Mike- Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy can show me and give me something. So from what I have seen is that I've seen enough, at least from Josh Rosen, where I will pick the Cardinals and kind of win in a game where I think it's going to be like a 23 to I, – I think I'd say like 24-23 type game. I don't think it's going to be as high scoring as maybe some of the last weeks for that one just because I think I have at least enough faith in the Cardinals' defense to limit from what we saw last week. But not surprise me at all if you end up talking about an 0-5 team. And that's unfortunate to me. I'm, I'm, I at least am putting over the faith in Josh Rosen to kind of come back after playing a very, very great game last week to have the team kind of rally around him and say, look, we were the ones who let Josh down last week. Let's go out, get him the win that he should have gotten there so I'm picking the Cardinals to win 24-23 at least with this week but would not surprise me at all if this comes down to a late game decision where you have a controversial type of a call and we're again coming back at least saying this is a team that's 0-5 where Kyle Shanahan outcoached Mike McCoy or excuse me Kyle Shanahan outcoached Steve Wilkes in that defense despite having that you know a beat up offense in that team 
Uh, all right. Uh, that's going to be do it for us for tonight on the Bird Game Blitz. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Make sure that you're liking and subscribing on Apple Podcasts. We are on Stitcher Radio as well. You can find us, as always, on Blog Talk Radio. And do follow us on the Bird Game Blitz Twitter account as well. We'll always have some of our best takes, at least, um, throughout the week. We'll be retweeting there. Uh, make sure you come follow up for this. We didn't have any Bird Game mailbag submissions this week. So uh, you guys got to get back on this. Ask us more questions, at least, for next week. And uh, in the meantime, John, where can they find you on Twitter? I am at Johnny's Football, all uh, one word, no numbers, no funny characters. And again, yeah, submit any and all questions you have. I know we're going to try to do rapid reactions to get the first podcast out post game. I think that that's been more uh, receptive uh, amongst the, the folks on Twitter and online. We love recording. Uh, usually we do it Sunday night, uh, but we love recording roughly 24 hours after the game, if not sooner, to kind of give that live raw reaction. Um, because honestly, Blake, it's not that fun previewing games when the team is uh, winless so far. Usually <laughs> no. you do that when they're more competitive. you got games to look forward to. But where can they find you online? Yeah, you can find me at uh, Revenge of the Birds. I'll have a new kind of article summing up a lot of just the coaching staff and the search that we had for this week of – the Cardinals, the process, and then also even some of the warning signs that we had from part of why some people didn't like Steve Wilkes saying they're going to be a running team, part of why Mike McCoy was such a concern hire for everyone, not just even for you or for me. Uh, but at Blake Murphy 7 is going to be my Twitter handle. And gosh, John, I'm just like kind of just keep reviewing and looking at this uh, the San Francisco team and just like, this with Kyle Shanahan, you know, the, some of these plays that his receivers are getting are just guys who are just wide open with some of these different coverages. And it's like, gosh, yeah. Josh Rosen, if he could just get a couple of these. Like they, they have no business losing this game. If, if Steve Wilkes is anything uh, a competent NFL coach, then they need to win this game by double digits. Yeah, and if he's not, that's one of the things I know I even talked to you about. It was just, you know, overall, if this team is going to continue in with Wilkes and McCoy into next season, it doesn't seem like Josh Rosen's even doing enough to save them. They're kind of at least seeming to be doing it to themselves right now. We can hope Absolutely. that's not the case on the week in San Fran. But, you know, it's, I just don't have a uh, – normally if the Cardinals had won this game against Seattle, I would be calling this game against San Francisco next week a trap game. That's the biggest thing, at least that concerns me, the fact that they at least didn't have that win. Hopefully it will give them enough motivation that we're talking about Josh Rosen's first victory as an NFL quarterback next week. Well, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we'll see you guys next week, and have a good one. We're tuning out tonight from the Bird Gang Blitz podcast in Arizona and Chicago. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week, I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.